Welcome to the Emmanuel Baptist Church Podcast. We pray that the sermon you're about to hear would be useful as you grow in your love for God and your love for His church. Now, here's today's sermon. If I asked you, what makes you, you? I wonder what you would mention. What makes you, you? Would you mention personality traits that are unique to you? Or the combination is unique to you? Maybe some of you would mention like a weird quirk, like you've got an 11th finger or webbed feet or something. I don't know. (laughs) Maybe the first thing that comes to your mind would be your occupation. I hope not, because that's not what you identify yourself as, is your work. But maybe some would mention that's that's who I am. Maybe you would mention a, a sport that you play or a hobby that consumes your time. I'm not sure. What makes you, you? I think an infinitely more worthy question to ask is what makes Jesus the Jesus whom we would die for? What makes Jesus, Jesus? When Matthew starts to give us an idea of who Jesus is, it's really the whole book, and an impossible venture to give you and I with very finite minds, try to understand all of who Jesus is, an impossible venture. But when Matthew tries to, or starts to give us an idea of who this Jesus is, he starts with two things to identify who Jesus is. He starts with, firstly, the family that Jesus came from. He, he starts with the genealogy. That's the first 17 verses of the book of Matthew. And we know that that's helpful to get to know who Jesus is because it's the genealogy that tells you and I that he's the heir to the throne of David. He's the king. And he's the promised blessing spoken to Abraham for all the nations. This is who Jesus is. He's the promised blessing in the great high king. And so he starts with this genealogy to get to this point of who Jesus is. The second thing that Matthew feels necessary to mention when he wants you and me to know who Jesus is, is he mentions Jesus' conception story. Now, usually you and I don't want to hear about a conception story, but we see one here that's obviously different from all others in Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. Let me read it in its entirety, and we'll walk back through it. Matthew chapter 1, starting in verse 18. Now, the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel which means God with us. 
When Joseph woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. Amen. May God bless the reading of his word. We're going to have Christmas in, East, uh, Christmas in July this year. Talk about the birth and the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. In theological terms, studying who Jesus is is known as Christology. It's a fun word. You can go home saying that. Christology. Really, I mean, we know biology. Bio means life, and so ology is the study of. So biology is the study of life and things that are living. Christology is the study of Christ, who he is, the nature that he has. Now, maybe you're one who doesn't like to study or or dig deep or work really hard just, you know, in in faith. And that's that's not a slant at anyone. That's just, I think that's common. Many might feel like, I just want the simple Jesus. Just give me the simple Jesus, right? Well, I would propose to you this morning that we work hard to know about him more so that we have much more reason to love him. The more you know of him, the more reason you have to love him. The deeper your knowledge of him goes, so also will the depth of your love for him go. And so let's work to know Jesus all the more so that we might love him all the more as we find out more about him. It's really important that we all, you, me, we would all commit ourselves to the study of Christology. Firstly, I think because there's a lot of confusion about who Jesus is today. There's a lot of confusion about who Jesus is today. You hear some churches, I use the word church very lightly here, would say that he is gender fluid or non-binary. I mean, this is ludicrous, craziness. But far more popularized than that fringe issue, it's just, you just look at a modern day picture of Jesus, you know where I'm going with this. I mean, he looks like a white shampoo model, just with beautiful hair, or a pampered trust fund kid It's never had a blister before in his life. I mean, this is the Jesus that we're depicting, isn't it? Much more serious, though, is Barna did a survey of people across America in 2014 through 2016, not too long ago, I'm guessing it hasn't gotten better. One-fourth of Americans think that Jesus was just a religious leader, like Mohammed or Buddha. Just a, just a leader of a movement. One-fourth. One-fourth of our Christian nation. Right. 50% believe that he even sinned and was not a morally perfect man. Okay, these are serious and concerning. See, getting Jesus wrong in these ways affects everything else. You don't have Christianity at that point, right? If he wasn't holy and perfectly God, 
There's no trinity. Throw that in the garbage can. There's no resurrection. There's no salvation. There's no hope for your and I's loved ones who have gone before us. There's no hope for eternity. All of a sudden, our faith is dismantled and a complete sham. And in fact, you and I are to be more pitied than the world around us. Because we're wasting our life on a man who doesn't deserve praise. If that's the Jesus that we're serving. If he is, in fact, a flawed man who's just a leader of a movement like Mohammed or Buddha, he is no longer worthy to be followed, obeyed, worshipped, and trusted for our eternity. He doesn't deserve any of that. So high stakes, right? High stakes in Christology and knowing who Jesus is. And in just the conception story that we just read in Matthew chapter 1, we get a glimpse of who our Lord and Savior really is. Just in this story that we just read, we see His humanity on full display. He was born of a woman. But we also see His divinity in full view as well. He wasn't born naturally, but the Holy Spirit conceived Him in Mary. We see His purpose in this story. His purpose for coming and living. He came to save His people from their sins. We see His plans for the world. His name is Emmanuel, that He might dwell with His people, God with us. We see just in the conception story so much about who this Jesus is. But I can't get ahead of ourselves. Matthew sets the context, just as in verses 18 and 19, if you're looking at it, he sets the context by saying, firstly, there was this betrothal going on between Jesus' mom and his adopted father, Joseph, right? They were betrothed. This is similar, but not exactly, it's similar to our idea of an engagement period, Right? That would be publicly committing to one another, being exclusive with one another. I'm committed to you, you're committed to me. And they weren't allowed to consummate the marriage through sexual relationship at this point. Right, so it's an engagement period. Traditionally, you and I would understand that to be very similar to an engagement period. We commit one to one another, but we hold off on consummation until the marriage vows. But it's not identical to your and I's idea of engagement. Betrothal isn't. This idea of what Joseph and Mary were in at this time is not exactly like what you and I would understand as engagement. Because once they were betrothed, they were bound like marriage bound. You and I, I mean, somebody could be left at the altar. (laughs) A lot of good, sad stories on that one, sad movies on that, but... It can happen, and technically no harm, no foul, at least when it comes to sin, right? You haven't broken off something that was covenantally bound together at that point, right? If you're going to get out, get out now, kind of idea, right? It's in flippant terms, but that, that wasn't the case here with them in their betrothal. We can see that in verse 19. He was already called her husband, right? And when he sought to break off their betrothal, 
It was akin to divorce. So though they're betrothed, they haven't consummated the marriage yet, there's still a step to take, which they haven't taken yet, but even in this betrothal period, he's her husband, and he would have to divorce her. Much more serious than engagement, right? So there's this betrothal, and there's a scandal. I remember whenever Sarah told, uh, told me that we were having our, our second boy, at this time, didn't know it was a boy, second baby, I got home from work, just a normal day, and, uh, and Judah comes running up to me, and he has a card, like a piece of paper folded in half, and, and he brings it to me, and he always makes, you know, little crafts at Lala's house, that's his babysitter, and he always brings these little things, little crafts, and he always wants me to see him as soon as I get home. He runs up to me at the door, gives it to me, and I'm like, oh, did you make this at Lala's? And, and I open it up, and it says, I'm going to be a big brother. You ever have those really special moments? I don't know if you've had these kinds of announcements that, and it was just so cool, and I'm just like, you know, you're processing, you're like, wait, what? And I looked to Sarah, I was like, is this the, is, you know, trying to figure it out. Joseph didn't have such a fun time as I did finding out his wife was pregnant, right? I mean, that's, that's, that's the text. Joseph had a very different experience than I did. He knew that he had not been intimate with his wife. And yet Joseph also knew she was very pregnant. Okay? Just like anyone else, Joseph did the math. And he was going to break it off. But I, I think it's very amazing that there in verse 20, it says he resolved to divorce her quietly. He planned to do it quietly. He could have drug her out. I mean, according to their culture, he could have drug her out into the middle of the square and made open shame of this scandal. And yet, as a man of integrity, he no longer felt good to continue in their marriage, but he wanted to do it quietly for her sake. And I think that's just a lesson for you and I, truly. Let's pull some practicalities out of that and learn from such a righteous example as Joseph. You see, godly people don't hurt those that we're hurt by, even if we've got the perfect opportunity to. You hear that? We don't hurt those who hurt us, even if the opportunity is served to us on a silver platter. We don't. As image bearers of Christ, as ambassadors of Christ even more, we are people of grace and forgiveness that don't make sense in this world. But it makes sense to God and His character. That's what Joseph did. So this is the context. There was a betrothal and then a scandal. Joseph's going to break it off because of the scandal until an angel comes to clarify everything to him. And that's verses 20 through 23. Let me read it again, verses 20. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. All this is taking place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall name him Emmanuel. Could you just imagine 
receiving that from the angel? Genuinely. Like, can you just imagine that it just happened to be his relationship that this happened to? I would, I would struggle to believe it. I would say, I had the craziest dream last night, right? Before I just said, oh, okay, we're sticking together. That must be from God. But I think, again, we can learn from the righteous example of Joseph. What faith, right? I mean, seriously, what, what faith? And it says, it doesn't say that he woke up and had to really wrestle with it for a month. It didn't say that Joseph woke up from that dream and said, okay, Mary, I'm not sure what's going on. Let me pray about it and fast for a week or two. No, it says he woke up and he redirected everything. May you and I learn from such faith and obedience as God would come to us with his word. I'm guessing he still wrestled with emotions that were difficult to process. I mean, literally, no one's ever gone through this before, Joseph. Sure, there were still emotions and, and times of doubt, and yet his obedience wasn't wavered just because his faith was. I don't know if his faith was wavering, but in his humanity, I could imagine there would be times of difficulty, and yet obedience didn't waver. So, the angel came and visited him, and firstly, he put Joseph to ease about the relationship with Mary. He stayed with her. We can see that in verses 24 and 25. But it also, this angel's announcement to Joseph teaches us a lot as well, and that's what I want to focus on the rest of our time. This angel's announcement teaches you and I a lot about who this Jesus is that we serve. In this text, firstly, we see Jesus' unique nature. We see the nature of Jesus. See, Matthew, I think, he's trying to make a point here in the way he's wording things. He's working really hard, I think, to show us that Jesus has two natures, human and divine. I mean, let me just read through the, a few of the verses again just to show you that Matthew really wants us to see both natures, human and divine. Verse 18, he says, she was found to be with child. Okay, human. From the Holy Spirit. Okay, divine. Verse 20, that which is conceived in her, okay, human, is from the Holy Spirit. Okay, divine. Verse 23, the virgin shall conceive. Okay, so human baby, divine intervention. Verse 25, Joseph didn't know her until she gave birth. If you know anything about biology, that's backwards in the order of things, right? Human baby, yet divine intervention. And I think Matthew's really trying to stress this point. Jesus has both human and divine nature. And I think this dual nature, I know this divine and human dual nature matters a lot. It matters a lot for you and for I. It doesn't matter just for people that are going to seminary or to school to really study the depths of, and the weeds of these things. Listen, 
Jesus' dual nature is one of the most core doctrines for you and I to really know as we stand in our faith. There's not too many more closer to the center than the nature of Christ. You see, Jesus must be fully God. Not 75%, not 92%, 100% God for Him to be an acceptable sacrifice for your and I's salvation. Yes, He embraced human limitations. He stepped down into the depraved world that we live in, and He embraced all the hardships that came with it. Yes, to all of that, yet He never lost His divinity for one second. This is huge because some teach against that. Like in in Bethel, if you know them, very influential movement, they would teach that Jesus set aside his divinity. This is heresy. He embraced human limitation, yet never lost his divinity for a second. And this is essential for your and I's salvation. It really is. Because all of mankind It's fully depraved. You and I are dead in our sins and in our trespasses. We can't go one second without sinful nature creeping in. This is the reality that plagues humanity. And yet Jesus' unique divinity keeps him holy and enables him to live the life that he had to live for the sacrifice he had to make. He wouldn't have been able to make it through this life unscathed from the temptations of sin had he not been divine. We see this in, in Hebrews chapter 4, verse 15. It says, We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weakness. He is. He knows what it's like to step into the weakness and the difficulties of being human, but the verse keeps going. He is one who, in every respect, has been tempted as we are, yet remained without sin. He had to be fully divine to make that happen. So to reject the full divinity of Jesus, there is no chance that he would have been able to offer a sacrifice pleasing to God for your salvation. It's essential that he was divine, but also Jesus must have been fully human for his sacrifice to apply to you. You see, our sins require blood to be spilled. That's what God says. Hebrews chapter 9, verse 22 says, Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness of sins. You have to shed the blood. There has to be a punishment for the sin, an appeasement for the wrath of God. And so what does Jesus do? He takes on flesh. becomes human. We know that this can't be accomplished through the blood of goats and bulls. It must be a human under the law, living under the law perfectly, and so that's what Jesus did. Let me read one more verse. Galatians chapter 4. This is a really important text on this topic. Galatians 4, verses 4 and 5. It says, When the fullness of time had come, 
God sent forth His Son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who are under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. Do you see, He had to be born as you and I are, under the law, from a woman. So to reject the humanity of Jesus, that's also to cut off the head of your salvation. You go either way, reject His divinity or reject His humanity, you don't have salvation. You don't have an acceptable sacrifice for God to to cover your sins. So firstly, in this text, we see Jesus' unique nature. He is both human and divine. Secondly, though, in this text, we learn about Jesus' unique identity, His identity. The angel here mentions two names for Jesus, and both names speak to what He came to do. Kiddos, I hope you're listening because we're about to get to the two names. (laughs) Both of them speak to what Jesus came to do. Firstly, Jesus was given a legal name that he would be known by. A legal name. Like you and I have a legal name. What's on our birth certificate? You read verse 21. The angel says, She will bear a son, and you shall call him, as his parents, Jesus. For he will save his people from their sins. I guess first, can I just make a, a point to... The value of a name, it's a side, side trail, kind of rabbit hole point, but it, it's worthy of making, I think. Names matter. Names matter. So, I guess, if you have a child, one day if you plan to have children, hope to have children, I'd say put some time into thinking about the name, because names matter. Names mean something. Names speak to that kid's life. I think we learn that here. Don't waste the opportunity to give somebody a name that speaks over them something. So they named him Jesus, which means Yahweh saves. Yahweh saves. That was the name that Jesus was to be given that speaks over what he would do. That's pretty amazing. Because there's a lot of names that he could have been given. There's a lot of things that he could have done. Right? Jesus could have come to make this short life very comfortable for you. Without trouble, without difficulty. He could have come and done that. He, Jesus could have come to reveal some secrets to humanity. Right? What's the cure to cancer, Jesus? Right? Is there life outside of this world? Extraterrestrial? What about the dinosaurs? I mean, Jesus could have brought a lot of information. (laughs) Just had to throw that one in there. So they could have named him according to all these other things that Jesus could have come and done, and yet Jesus came to save you from your sins. And so he was given the name, Yahweh saves. What a thing to come and do. What a name to be given. And if that mission to come and save you from your sins, the bad things that you've done, if that sounds very underwhelming, and you'd maybe rather know the cure to cancer or something else for him to come and do that, if him coming to save you from your sins sounds very 
eh, then you just don't see the significant problem of your sin. Let me read a quote from Charles Haddon Spurgeon, the Prince of Preachers. He says this, Nothing is more prominent about a man than his name. We can hardly mention the man without pronouncing his name. And so we feel that we cannot mention our Lord without speaking of our salvation. If he be anything, he is Jesus, the Savior. We know him best by that name. We preach unto other men the name of Jesus. We insist upon it first and foremost that He is the sinner's Savior. He is righteous and He loves righteousness, but He is first known to men as the friend of sinners. And so that was what He is named. But He was also prophesied of to have a second name eventually, to be known publicly as Emmanuel. It says in verse 23, Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they, just people in general, shall call his name Emmanuel. You see that? He tells Joseph, you will name him Jesus, but they, talking about other people, will, will know him as Emmanuel. God with us. You want to have a nickname that you grew up with? I don't want to tell you mine. It's too humiliating. I asked my parents to just, well, now I have to. Uh, <laughs> it was when I was little, okay? So just know that. My parents, uh, I don't know why, where they came from this, but they used to call me Doodlebug all the time. Just bring it now, come on. But I, I asked them whenever I got to like 10, 13, something like that, I was just so embarrassed, like, Doodlebug, Mom, stop. So, so I, I convinced her to shorten it to dude, and so now they still call me dude all the time. And everyone's like, oh, that's cool, because it's D-U-D-E, right? I mean, she's like, hey, dude. I'm like, no, it's D-O-O-D, because it's <laughs> short for doodle. But a lot of people had nicknames or have nicknames. The nickname that Jesus would be known for for all of eternity is Emmanuel. God came to dwell with his people. His legal name is God saves, but he's also known as God with me. So notice that his names build on top of each other. His first name, Jesus, he came to save us from our sins. The second one is built on top of that. Emmanuel, God with us. Because he saved me from my sins, because he made me pure and righteous, standing before a holy God, now he comes and dwells with me. He saved me from my sins. The stain is washed away. Now I'm in the presence of God. God is with me. This is the gospel, isn't it? That God saves us so that he might dwell with us for all of eternity. And so if you don't know Jesus as your Lord and Savior, that's the call to you right now, just to hear that. That Jesus saves us from our sins. Jesus takes care of all that is horrible about Isaac, and there's a lot. He came to deal with that. No matter what makes you, you, in a very bad way, Jesus came to deal with all of that so that he might dwell with you and you might dwell with him, a holy God. 
So how do we respond to this? Well, firstly, we need to know this Jesus. We need to know about him. There's no one like him, fully God, fully man. There's never been anyone like him. There never will be anyone like him. He is holy and entirely unique. And so for this, we love him. Firstly, know who he is. And in response to that, you have to love him. He is God and worthy to be praised. He also embraced all the horrors of humanity for your sake, for my sake. He's God and worthy to be praised. He became human and is therefore worthy to be praised. So know him, love him, and then lastly, embrace his benefits. Truly, embrace his benefits. Can I just ask you something to think about? Are your sins forgiven? Today, truly, think about it. All that you've done, all that you are doing, all that you will do, are your sins forgiven? Let me tell you about this man whose name is God saves you. Do you have a relationship with God? Is he present in your life? Let me tell you about this God who says, I can dwell with you. He saves us from all the wrong that we've done, and he invites us into his presence. That's an incredible thing. And so, if you haven't made that decision to ever call him Lord and trust him for your salvation, I'd encourage you today is the day to do that. And so, you can talk to me at the front or somebody else at the front, pray with them, or pray in your seat. But for everyone else who has called Jesus, your Lord and Savior. You have an opportunity here in just a minute to worship Him, to sing to Him, and I encourage you to do that. Let's pray. Thanks for listening to today's sermon. If you live in or near Bethany, Missouri, we invite you to join us for our worship services held on Sunday morning and Sunday evenings, as well as our various activities on Wednesday nights. For more information on how you can get involved, visit our website at bethanyibc.com.